I'm going to preach now from uh, one of my sermons, from my series of sermons, and sermons from the Gospel of John that I've been preaching at Rainbow Drive on Sunday nights. I hope and pray that we can all get something out of this particular lesson. I'll read the verses. Rather than read the entire chapter or read all the verses I tend to speak on, I'll read the verses and then comment on these verses as I read them. Beginning with the 25th verse of the 7th chapter of the Gospel of John. Then said some of them to... That said, said some of them of, Jer- of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour had not yet come. On this occasion now, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus because he had healed on the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day was naturally a very special day to the Pharisees. But the part of the Pharisees' attitude that uh, is so, to my way of thinking, uh, striking is the fact that though they criticized Jesus, they did the exact same thing that Jesus had done. And this is what Jesus pointed out to them. He said, now which one of you, if your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, you don't pull that ox out. You know, you do whatever you think is necessary to do on the Sabbath. He said, when I heal someone on the Sabbath, I do something that is very good on the Sabbath, and you criticize me. You belittle me. It's been my experience, friends and brethren, that more often than not, and I don't believe that that's an exaggeration, more often than not, people who are hypercritical and will be critical of other people for doing certain things... You do a little investigating, you'll find out that they're often guilty of the very thing in which they criticize others for. Very guilty of the very same problem that they're very critical of other people who may have that particular problem. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, beginning with the first verse, Judge not lest you be be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, and considereth not the beam in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast first the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. You see, we're so quick to notice the weaknesses of everyone else, so quick to notice the shortcomings of everyone else, and so slow to notice our own weaknesses, if in some cases we ever notice our own weaknesses or shortcomings. The Sabbath day had been given to the Jewish people, now according to Deuteronomy 5, at this particular time, this dispensation, to... And remembrance of their being delivered from Egyptian bondage. That was the reason for the Sabbath. They were to come together on the Sabbath day, and it was to be a day of rest, not necessarily a day of worshiping God, and a day of commemorating their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. If you haven't been delivered from Egyptian bondage, if your forefathers haven't been delivered from Egyptian bondage, then you don't observe the Sabbath day. Because the Sabbath day was given to those who had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. And even those who have been delivered from Egyptian bondage are to no longer observe the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day has been done away with. When Jesus died on the cross, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which were against us and contrary to us, he took them out of the way, nailing them to the cross. But anyway, at this time, that's why the people observed the Sabbath. Now, in the Christian Sabbath, it's the first day of the week. 
because Christian people come together on the first day of the week, not to in remembrance of our being delivered from Egyptian bondage, but in remembrance of our being delivered from sin by Jesus Christ. To commemorate Jesus' death, burial, his resurrection, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, you do show forth his death until he comes again. We recall what Jesus did for us. And the first day of the week is a very special day to the Christian, just as the Sabbath day was a very special day to the Jewish people. But now, the first day of the week is a day of rest, like the Sabbath day was a day of rest for those people. We need rest. That's good for us. When God tells us that we should spend a day in rest, then that's exactly what we should do. But... The Christian Sabbath is not a, not to be observed in the sense of which we can't do anything on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is special in the sense that it's a day that our families come together, together to worship God in spirit and in truth. And it's special in the sense that families should spend that day together. That should be a special day for every family, a day in which we're worshiping God, a day in which we eat together, a day in which we have recreation together. It's not wrong for a Christian to have a picnic on a Sunday afternoon, not wrong for him to play ball. I've never gone golfing on a Sunday afternoon because it just seems to me to be too much of a, of a hassle between the morning and the evening services, but it wouldn't be wrong for a Christian if you want to to go golf on a Sunday afternoon. It's a day of rest, but often rest is just doing something different than you do all week long. It's to break the routine. But more important than anything, it's a day that we worship God, and it also should be a great family day. I believe it's a day that families should do things together. If you want to play golf, play with your family. You want to go on a picnic, go on a picnic with your family. It's a day in which families should spend together, a day in which families should uh, recognize that it's a time of just relaxing and enjoying one another, and a great day for our worshiping of God and recalling in a very special way what Jesus Christ has done for us and all the blessings that come with being a Christian. So we have our Christian Sabbath, which is the first day of the week, totally different. Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. The church was established on the first day of the week. That's why Paul told the brethren of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, to lay by in store on the first day of the week, according to how God has prospered you. That's why we read in Acts 27, where they broke bread on the first day of the week. And they partook of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, because the first day of the week is the Christian, if you will, Sabbath, the Christian day of rest in commemoration of what Jesus Christ did for us. But anyway, the problem here with Jesus and the Pharisees was... They were criticizing Jesus for healing on the Sabbath when they themselves did what they felt was necessary to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy and how they were condemning him for the very thing that they were guilty of. Only what Jesus was doing on the Sabbath was much more important than even pulling the ox out of the ditch. In the 31st verse, and many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Now, friends and brethren, you just can't find a verse of Scripture that's any more clear in telling us why Christ performed the miracles. When the Christ cometh, will he do any more miracles than this man doeth? The people are asking that question. Christ is going to perform miracles. Well, is it possible for anyone to perform more miracles or more uh, undeniable miracles than Jesus has performed and the Christ has performed? Therefore, this must be the Christ because of the miracles that he performs. John 20 and 31, John says, Many other signs Jesus truly did in front of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and through that belief have life in his name. Jesus performed the miracles, friends and brethren, to convince people that he was the Son of God. 
to prove pe to people that he was the Son of God. The apostles were given the baptism of the Holy Spirit and were able to transmit the miraculous gifts of laying on of hands in order to prove to their contemporaries that they were men of God so that the church could be established. That was the purpose of the miracles. The miracles were not performed just to perform miracles. They were performed in order to confirm the Word, as we read in Mark 16 and 20. And certainly this verse along with many other in the Bi uh, others in the Bible, show that Christ performed these miracles not just to perform miracles, but rather to prove his deity so that people would listen to his spiritual message, so that people would be converted and be saved by the blood that he was about to shed, saved from their sins. The 32nd verse, the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. They were going out to arrest him now. They were so upset with Jesus that they decided that they were going to arrest him at this time. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. And ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and ye shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. Now here again, friends and brethren, we see this throughout the Gospel of John, over and over and over again. Jesus is speaking spiritually. He's going to go back to heaven. They're not going to be able to find him. They'll seek him, and they're not going to be able to find him. They take his words in a material sense. They attach a secular meaning to his words, and they think that Jesus is going to hide somewhere on this earth where they can't find him. And so they say, well, where can he hide? Where is he going to go that we can't go? They don't understand, didn't understand, that Jesus came into the world not with an earthly message, not with a material message, but with a spiritual message. And if we could ever understand that today, friends and brethren, if we could ever make that distinction, it would clear up much of what we consider to be difficult in the Bible. The reason that much of the Bible is difficult to us is for the same reason that these people couldn't understand who Jesus was. Because we place an earthly interpretation on a heavenly book. We place a worldly interpretation on a spiritual book. Jesus came into the world for spiritual reasons, to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come into the world to necessarily make it easier for his followers. He didn't come into the world to heal his followers. He didn't come into the world to feed his followers. He did some of that when he was on earth, and then not with his followers in most cases, but with the average people, as we've already pointed out, to prove that he was the Son of God. But he, this isn't the reason he came into the world to do these things. He came into the world to seek and to save the lost. He came into the world to die for sins. He came into the world to prepare us for eternity. And if we would ever understand that, we wouldn't say, why does God allow this to happen to me? What have I ever done? Why should I be suffering more than this atheist down the road who doesn't believe in God? You see, friends and brethren, the Lord said that the rain descends on the good and the evil, and the sun shines on the just and the unjust. This isn't where the reward is at on this earth. This isn't where everything is going to be made right. It's true that sometimes the unbeliever prospers more than the Christian on this earth, but that has nothing to do with the Christian's relationship with God. His relationship with God is based on the promises for the next world. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, make life as good for ourselves on this earth as we possibly can, but it does mean that we shouldn't pin our hopes on this earth. 
Paul says in Colossians 3 and 1, set your affections on things above, where Christ sits on the right-hand side of God. Not and not on things below, not on things of the earth. Jesus says in Matthew 6, beginning with the 19th verse, store not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth consume, and thieves break through and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can consume, and thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus taught the spiritual message, the heavenly message. They kept interpreting his words in an earthly manner, in a human-like manner. Mankind is still doing that today, friends and brethren. We're still paying the price for that today because so many people have such a gross misunderstanding of what true Christianity is all about because we insist upon interpreting Jesus' words in an earthly way, a human way, rather than trying to understand that he's speaking to us in a spiritual message. It's a spiritual message that he's brought to us. In the last day of that great, the day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow liver, rivers of living water. But he, this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, speaking in spiritual language, in uh, hyperbolic or figurative language, not speaking literally that rivers of uh, water shall flow out of his belly, but in a spiritual sense he's speaking, and telling people that cunt, if they will come to him spiritually, they'll never thirst, in a spiritual sense. If you're out on a desert, you're wandering in the desert, and you're very thirsty, and you see a well, that well beckons you to come and to quench your thirst, does it not? If you're wandering somewhere and you haven't eaten for a couple of days, you're very hungry, and you see a table just filled with all of this exotic food, just filled with wonderful food, that table beckons you to come and eat and to satisfy your, quench your earthly hunger, does it not? If you're uh, in Arizona right now or in the southwest where the temperature is 120 degrees and you're just uh, suffering in this almost unbearable heat and you see this cool lake, that lake beckons you to come and to swim and to cool off, does it not? Well, now, Jesus is saying, look, if you're hungering, if you're thirsting in a spiritual sense, you come to me, and I've got rivers of water for you. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst in a spiritual sense if you come to me, if you imbibe in me, if you turn to me. Now, we're going to hunger in the physical sense. We're going to thirst in the physical sense. We're always going to want more as far as uh, this life is concerned. Where our quench, our thirst for the things of this world is never going to be completely and totally quenched because we're going to constantly need food, constantly need water, constantly need the essentials of this life. But Jesus says, if you'll come to me, I'll satisfy your spiritual hunger. I'll satisfy your spiritual thirst. You'll have these rivers of spiritual water to drink from. You'll never have to thirst. You'll never have to hunger in a, in a spiritual sense. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, saying said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ shall come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh out of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was born? Now here they denied that Jesus was the Son of God because they said that he did not come out of Bethlehem, that he was not born in Bethlehem. They knew that Micah had prophesied in Micah 5 and 2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They assumed that Jesus came out of Galilee, that he hadn't been born in Bethlehem, so therefore he couldn't have been the Messiah. Now, what was the mistake the Pharisees made on that occasion? They didn't investigate, friends and brethren. They assumed something that was not true. They jumped to the wrong conclusion, probably on the basis of what they had heard. Because if they would have done any investigating about Jesus, they would have learned that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. 
they would have learned that when Jesus, that when Mary and Joseph were residing in Nazareth of Galilee, that because of the tax that they had to pay at that time, because of that tax was laid on them, that they took that long journey from Nazareth of Galilee to Bethlehem of Judea, where Jesus Christ was born. So they came to the wrong conclusion because they didn't investigate. They didn't find out. Their information was wrong. Boy, have I seen people do that. The Lord only knows how many times, even in my short lifetime. I've heard us people from the Church of Christ totally misrepresented because people don't investigate what we stand for. I've heard people say that those in the Church of Christ believe in water salvation. You know, they believe that the water saves you. Friends and brethren, there's nothing on the face of this earth that's farther from the truth than that. Now, I can't speak for all of my brethren, and maybe there are a few of my brethren who believe that the water saves them, but I'm going to guarantee you this. Ninety-nine and a half percent of my brethren do not believe in water salvation. We do not believe that the water saves us. The water in baptism is pure H2O. That's all it is. It's no different than the water you take a shower in, no different than the water that you drink. It has no power in and of itself. There is no saving grace in the water. It's the blood of Christ that saves us. We believe that. I believe that as strongly as anybody watching this program. You've been redeemed, not by corruptible things, as Peter said in 1 Peter 1.18, but the precious blood of Jesus. Having received the forgiveness, having been redeemed by His blood, we've received the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, Ephesians 1 and 7 and Colossians 1 and 14. The Bible's filled with passages of Scripture that tell us we're saved by the blood. We in the church sing the song, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And surely we understand that it's the blood of Jesus that saves us. But the question is, when does the blood of Jesus save us? At what point does it save us? Some people believe that the blood of Christ saves at the point of saying, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I and thousands of others are convinced that the Bible teaches that the blood of Christ saves us in our obedience to Jesus. When we believe that He's the Son of God, repent of our sins, and obey Him in baptism. Now, it's in the water that we contact the blood of Jesus. That's why baptism is essential. Not because the water saves us, but because we contact the blood of Jesus. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, 3 and 4, knowing not as many of us who were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death. Because that's where the blood was shed, in his death. Surely any honest, objective thinking person can understand that. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3 and 27, those of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Why are we baptized into Christ? Because Christ is where we're saved. Because the blood of Christ is what saves us. It's Jesus who saves us. So when people say that those people from the Church of Christ believe in water salvation, the only reason they make statements such as those is because they've never investigated. They do exactly what the Pharisees did here with Jesus. They just accept these uh, rumors and things that they've heard without any proof being uh, given for those particular things. They just accept this hearsay. There's nothing any more dangerous than that. People say, Church of Christ think they're the only ones who are going to heaven. Well, you know what I believe as a believer of the Bible? What I think the 99% of my brethren believe, they believe what the Bible teaches, that those who are living their lives as best they can in harmony with the teachings of this book are the ones that are going to go to heaven. Isn't that what Jesus said? In Matthew 7 and 21, Jesus said, Not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many are going to say to me on that day, Haven't I preached in your name? Haven't I cast out devils in your name? Haven't I done many wonderful works in your name? Then I will profess unto them, Depart from me, uh, work of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, those are the words of Jesus, friends and brethren. Those aren't my words. Those aren't the words of some human being. Jesus said he's not going to know many people who professed his name. Why? 
because they didn't live according to the teachings of his holy and inspired word. I only believe what the Bible teaches on that. The vast majority of my brethren only believe what the Bible teaches on that. I don't judge anyone. I've tried hard not to judge anyone. I've tried hard just to tell people what the Bible says. Surely it's not wrong, friends and brethren, just to tell people what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says there's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, Ephesians 4 and 5. The same Bible that says God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life, also says there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. One God and Father who's above you all, through you all, and in you all. Is it wrong to tell people that that's what the Bible says? That's what the Bible teaches? It's wrong to tell people that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 that we should all speak the same thing and there should be no divisions amongst us, but we should be perfectly joined together in one mind and one judgment. God, friends and brethren, is the only judge. He's the only one capable of judging. He's the only one that knows the hearts of people. But certainly it's my obligation and the obligation of every person who claims to believe in the Bible and believe in the God of the Bible and the Christ of the Bible to tell people exactly what the Bible says. So we are so often misrepresented by our friends in the world because those people don't come and investigate. They do exactly what uh, the Pharisees on this occasion did with Jesus. They just assumed that Jesus was not born in, in uh, Bethlehem of Judea and that he couldn't have been the Messiah because the Messiah was, going, was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea and all the time Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. If they would have simply investigated, they would have found that out and they would have saved themselves a lot of problems and they wouldn't have wound up rejecting the Son of God. The 43rd verse, so there was division among the people because of him. Still division because of Jesus, friends and brethren. Division all over the world. So many people deny Jesus completely. Other people say he was a great moral teacher, that he was a great leader of some kind, that he was a great human being. But they don't understand that you can't take that position about Jesus. You can't say that Jesus was a great moral leader and a great human being, a great teacher, and say that he wasn't the Son of God. Because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. I and the Father are one. Whosoever, all, all those who have seen me have seen the Father. We must honor the Son even as we honor, honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father who sent him. Time after time after time, Jesus claims his deity. I that speak unto thee, said to the Samaritan woman, am he. When she said, I know that we know that the Messiah will come and he'll tell us all things about ourselves. Jesus said, I that speak unto thee, am he. He would claim to be the Son of God. Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He was resurrected from the dead. He ascended back into heaven. He did all of the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. He said, I am he that I that speaketh unto thee am he. Now you can't see. You can't get rid of Jesus by saying, well, you think he was a great moral teacher, a great leader of men, a great man, a great innovator, somebody that wasn't afraid to buck the tide in his day to stand against the trend of his day. You can't take that position about him, say that he wasn't the son of God. Because if Jesus was not the son of God, he was not a great moral leader. He was not a great teacher. He was not a great man. If he was not the son of God, he was one of the greatest deceivers who ever lived on this earth. Because he convinced millions upon millions of people that he was God's son. That he was the second person in the Godhead. That he was the savior of the world. That he was with God in the beginning. That he was without creation. And if he lied about those things, and if he deceived all of the millions of people that believed that he was whom he claimed to be, he wasn't a great man, friends and brethren. 
rather than being a great man, he, he perpetrated the greatest hoax upon mankind in all of the history of mankind. So there's still a whole lot of division over Jesus. There's only one way you can go with Jesus. only two ways you can go with him. Either you accept him for whom he claimed to be, or you reject him. Either you are with him or you are against him. There is no fence straddling when it comes to Jesus. Because if you don't accept him for whom he claimed to be, then you are against him. Then you are opposed to him. Then you are an enemy of his. So there's still much division and much confusion over him. And then, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers, the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered and said, Never man spake like this man. They went and they tried to arrest Jesus. But Jesus mesmerized them. Jesus spoke in such a manner that they felt helpless. They could not arrest the Son of God. They came back to these Pharisees and the rest of these people that had sent these officers out to arrest Jesus, and they said, we couldn't do it. No man ever spoke like this man speaks. Friends and brethren, no man ever made the claims that Jesus Christ made. No man ever made those claims and then backed them up. Surely Jesus was whom he claimed to be. We go on to read in the rest of the chapter where Nicodemus made a slight defense of Jesus. And now certainly uh, we're to commend Nicodemus for making a defense of him. He argued that they ought not to condemn Jesus without giving him a hearing. That their law demanded that an accused man receive a hearing, which is another great lesson for all people in our society. You don't condemn people without giving them a hearing. You don't condemn people without hearing their side. You don't condemn people without first finding out from that person's lips where he stands and give him the opportunity to clear up the situation. So we commend Nicodemus for his slight defense of Jesus, but it was a very slight defense. At the first sign of opposition, he sat back down. Friends and brethren, what Christian people are going to have to do today not make a slight defense of Jesus and then at the first sign of opposition sit down but stand up for Jesus let the world know that we believe in Jesus we're living in a world friends and brethren that is fast heading in the wrong direction fast heading towards perdition a world that mocks and ridicules and makes fun of everything decent right honorable noble and good a world that ridicules the teachings of Jesus Christ and what we've got is a lot of people who claim to be Christians making a slight defense of Jesus and then sitting down at the first sign of opposition. You've got a lot of people saying, oh, uh, I think he was the son of God. And when somebody snickers, that's the end of it. They sit down. What we need, friends and brethren, is people to say with the Apostle Paul of 2 Timothy 1 and 12, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We need to remember the words of Jesus in Mark 8 and 38 when he says, He was ashamed of me and my words in a sinful and adulterous generation. So shall the Son of Man be ashamed of him when he comes on that day in all of his glory with the holy angels. Friends and brethren, we need people. Young people, middle-aged people, older people. willing to take a stand for the Son of God. willing to take a stand for the Savior of this world. Willing to take a stand for the church for which Jesus died. Showing the utmost love towards all of mankind, humbly as we possibly can. But still, we must take that stand for Jesus. We sing that song, stand up, stand up for Jesus. There's never been a time in all of history 
when it's more needed for people to stand up for Jesus than it is today. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, come to the Rainbow Drive Church this morning and let us immerse you into Christ for the mission of your sins. If you're a delinquent Christian, come back to the Lord. Whatever your needs might be, I hope that you'll let us serve you in any way that we can. We love each and every one of you. We pray God's richest blessings on each and every one of you. Thank you so much for watching the program.